Hi, I'm Donovan. And I'm Matt. And this is... Blacklight the Spotlight. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. We're here for episode three. Matt, how are you feeling today? I'm feeling great. Uh, When you said welcome back, all I could think of was all the songs with the word back in it. There's Baby Got Back and Backstreet's Back and like Slim Shady, Guess Who's Back, you know? No, Matthew, excuse me. What are you talking about? Literally the only song that matters that has the word back in it is Back That Ass Up. Hello? (laughs) Thank you. How dare you? How dare you disrespect me like that? I feel, <laughs> me and my people feel slighted <laughs> by the disrespect right now. I'm sorry. I, You know what? I That's bad on me for my allyship, <laughs> and I will make sure to go get my cousin. <laughs> there you go. Honestly, I feel like that's the only song I listen to when I go running, just on repeat. Gets me in the mood, gets me hype, you know? I can picture you doing it, yes. Oh my God. Okay. Enough, enough, enough. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. Last episode, in episode two, we had the wonderful Amara Brady, who is a theater artist, talk to us specifically about emotional labor and proper compensation for BIPOC artists. Today, we're going to be switching gears a little bit by highlighting the experience of another group in the entertainment industry. So without further ado, I would like to welcome everyone to episode three, Breaking Down the Binary. Today we'll be exploring ways in which non-binary, gender non-conforming, and trans artists navigate an industry with largely binary stories. And to speak on this topic, we are thrilled to bring a very special guest onto the show. So please tell us your name, your pronouns, how you identify as an artist, and what is giving you life in 2020. Oh, wow. Hi, everyone. My name is Pax, and my pronouns are they, them. And I am a performer, a music director, a composer. I live in Philadelphia and inspired by Amara. I also want to acknowledge that I live on Lenape land, unceded Lenape land. And what's giving me life in 2020 is this upcoming Ill Dudes concert on October 2nd that I just recorded a music video for. Oh, I cannot wait to see that. That's amazing. For everyone who doesn't know, for all our, our listeners, um, Ill Dudes is a local band. They are amazing. And Pex, I didn't know you were involved with them. Oh, yeah. It's like a huge group album release. So Ill Dudes is releasing new music and they invited a bunch of artists to jump on and share music. Hell yes. Oh, great. I'm so looking forward to that. Yes. All right. So uh, now before we dive in, I want to talk about how I know Pax. I know that Donovan and Pax have seen each other perform. Is that correct? Yes, that's true. Great. So how Pax and I know each other, uh, I'll take a story a bit back, I think, to 2017, when topics of trans rights and, uh, you know, gender rose to the national conversation. Time Magazine uh, published an issue called Beyond He or She, look it up. Um, the president banned trans military members and there were all these talks of the bathroom. <laughs> so uh, what struck me the most when I first met you uh, was your very first email to me as assistant director of the light princess at the Arden. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought you were so kind. You were approachable and daring in charge of all the understudies. What sticks out the most is that you also introduced your pronouns. Now, this was the first time as a cis person that I had heard someone going by they, them, 
though of course um, these identifiers had been in existence long before then. Uh, so without spending too much time on this, would you mind briefly enlightening those of our listeners that are on a journey to better allyship? We know that gender is super fluid and that you can only speak to your own experience, but what are some of the differences between these terms, non-binary, gender non-conforming, gender queer, and and I know trans is an umbrella term, but trans and what it means to you? Sure, of course. Wow, the like the the mother of all questions. I'm so excited <laughs> to answer. Um, so I identify as non-binary, which is a self-identified term for folks who have chosen to actively defy the gender binary and create space for themselves outside of binary gender roles in our society. Um, So a lot of people have to create this space for themselves because no one tells them that it's an option. Um, I am non-binary and I also identify as genderqueer. Um, If we think of queer, (laughs) which is one of my favorite words, it's like one of the most expansive words in our dictionary. Um, If we think of queer as a verb, then we can think of it as like queering something means to resist binary categorization or to achieve like a challenge to your inherited assumptions and to breathe liberation into that thing. So if we're thinking about queer as a verb and gender queer, we're thinking about queering our gender and uh, challenging our inherited assumptions about our gender as only male or female. Um, and clearly, we know so many people live outside of those boundaries. Wow. I know you just came from literal church this morning, and I feel like we just went to church with that sentence. Yes. <laughs> wow. Thank you. Thank you for that. Oh, of course. Yeah. I, and then, of course, the larger term trans um, and transgender, which so many people identify under, and we could have a million different gender labels underneath it. Um, but yeah, just such a vibrant, amazing community that I'm so proud and glad to be a part of. Yeah. And so I will say for um, our listeners, uh, Pax and I, we've never directly crossed paths or we've never directly met one another. Our community is just so, so, so small. So you hear about people and you, um, I don't know, you know different names. And I feel like especially in Philadelphia, there's so many um, thought leaders, I guess, like infamous thought leaders. In fact, I feel like you are one of those. So I just feel so lucky to have you here. And I will say you actually taught me um, a new word when we were um, communicating over email. You said that you identify as transfeminine. And that was the first time I had ever heard that. So I would I would love for you to, if you can, um, tell people who might not be familiar, what exactly does that word mean to you? Oh, totally. Yeah, that's really important to me. Because even as a non-binary person who doesn't um, strictly identify within the terms male or female. I'm outside of that. And I would love to say that that gender also isn't a spectrum because a spectrum might imply that we're on a gradient between two fixed points, two binary Mm -hmm. points. Mm -hmm. I think of um, gender as like an expansive um, sphere of possibilities, some overlapping and and all of them distinct sometimes. And Mm -hmm. Sam Rise, a friend, says that gender is a universe, is a galaxy, which I think is such a beautiful way to put it. Um, so for me, transfeminine is really important in that in that I like am closer to femininity than I am to some other things. Um, mm-hmm. But I still have so many other gender labels that resonate with me. But I do identify as a transfeminine person. Femininity is a part of my gender. Mm-hmm. Wow. Thank you. 
All right, now, if there are any other terms our listeners are not familiar with, we highly encourage them to research or feel free to send us a message. And we're going to talk about this a little more on our future episode of how to and how to not be an ally. Mm-hmm. Amen to that. So, Pax, I would love to familiarize everyone who's listening with a little bit more about uh, your work in particular. So can you tell us about just your work generally and your history in the Philly arts community? Yeah, totally. It's bizarre to think that I came here, I don't know, like seven years ago and Mm -hmm. have been working in theater for maybe five years. But it feels like so much longer than that. It feels like um, I've met so many wonderful people. I've been a Mm -hmm. part of like uh, projects that I'm really excited about and and people who I like call my dearest friends now. Um, I'm just having like a surreal moment. Um, but <laughs> but I'm thinking about, yeah, the beginning. And um, I, uh, I was an apprentice at the Arden. Um, that was my first theater job in Philly. Wow. Um, and that's okay. where Matt and I met. Um, I, so I guess like that was maybe the year after. Um, but I am a composer, a performer, a music director. My work since then has been about the intersection of um, music and theater and the intersection of advocacy and the arts. Um, so I'm thinking... <laughs> Jesus, come on. <laughs> so I'm thinking about, like, in everything I do, I'm hoping to, like, uh, incorporate an element of, of, like, of social justice into the work that I'm doing. And that's aspirational. I don't always achieve that, but I, uh, Amara was talking about the why. And for me, the why is... Um, being able to use the arts as a tool. I think the arts are like a means to an end um, in terms of like achieving social justice and and um, encouraging and perpetuating the revolution. So um, so I'm trying to do that in my own small ways in my own work. Wow, that's that's absolutely beautiful. And thank you, thank you for highlighting that. I think Matt and I, a lot of what we've been talking about is finding that intersection between artistry and advocacy and what exactly that looks like. Uh, And it varies from person to person. So yeah, it's so exciting to hear that. And I would also love if you could talk a little bit about Gender Funk Philly. Sure. So one of the projects that that feels like it is connected to that goal is highlighting the trans and non-binary theater community in Philly with this Instagram page called Gender Funk Philly, which I co-created with Desi Tibbs. And we have some help from Kat Weary right now. And it's the hope of this page is to be a multi-vocal um, shared community space where we highlight trans and non-binary folks and especially put an emphasis on BIPOC theater artists in that space. Yes, excellent. And I think, do you remember off the top of your head what the, um, like the caption for the handle is? I think it says, um, don't say you couldn't find us. We're here, we're cute, come funk with us. <laughs> yes, I love that. That's amazing. And unfortunately, it's real, right? Like that's a legitimate thing that you'll hear people in casting say, oh, we don't know about the trans people in the community. Oh, what, Black people? There's not enough, you know? So mm-hmm. I guess this um, Instagram is part of what's going to help us see, hey, you know, like, these people exist. Don't mm-hmm. say that you don't say that you don't know about them. Totally. And I think we also hear like iterations of that same theme too of like, oh, we know who these trans and non-binary people are, or we know who these black and Hispanic and Asian folks are, but we don't know if they can do certain skills. This is showcasing mm. and highlighting all the skills that we have so that you can't say like, I don't know any trans people who do comedy, you know, that kind of mm. thing. I think that's absolutely beautiful. And I hope that the work you're doing can inspire other communities to create kind of their own um, 
I don't know, records or whatever it may be. I think that'd be amazing. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I would love I do, to be involved in that work. That'd be awesome. Yeah. I think that's something that can and should exist across all underrepresented communities. Definitely. And we're we're not the first by any means. I think of PAPA and other organizations uh, mm. formed so many years ago. Um, this mm-hmm. feels kind of like a time when um, people are starting to have some awareness and and desire for trans people to tell their own stories. So this is a time that I think like is ripe for for showing who we are and and all the skills we have to offer in collaboration. As I will say a million times, thank you for your work, truly. Yeah. Um, so moving on, I would love to know some of the favorite roles you've ever played and I guess Ooh. why they go down. Yeah, I know, right? It's a hard question. And not only that, not only your favorite roles, but why they go down in history of your career as being epic. And like, I'm personally, I'm keeping my fingers crossed that you'll mention that production of Twelfth Night, but I don't want to prescribe your answers for you. Right. <laughs> wow, that is so kind. Um, I think this is the first time my career has been described as epic um, and uh, I'm overwhelmed. Um, so, thank you. Uh, I, I think like everything that I've been involved in feels like a gift in some way. Um, and of course, there are productions that I like really wish I could take back. <laughs> but I <laughs> but I also feel like they taught me something really valuable and really special. Some of my favorites, I will say Twelfth Night because um, because Vi, the character that I played, um, I was so gifted to be able to discover whose he was in that space. And the director, Jack Tambori, and I worked to, to find out who this character was um, and what name this character used and what pronouns this character used. And if like Shakespeare exists today, I think it is a space for us to like put our modern lives, our modern reality, our modern um, sensibilities on it because we've seen it done every other way. <laughs> um, so it was really exciting to have like a trans character in that show and for the necessity to um, to like to assume another gender to be out of like a lived gender experience as opposed to um, expediency. Right, right. And you certainly weren't the only trans or non-binary person in that production, right? Totally. Ange Bay, Bailey Roper, um, Roman Ops, so many awesome artists who are also on the Gender Funk Philly page. Check us out. Um, but yeah, just an amazing group of like tr- trans and non-binary collaborators on that piece that made it like a genderful world of like, what is gender and like, how is it used in, in the world? I think it became about gender in like a really sophisticated, modern way. Yeah, I love that term genderful. I think Oh, thanks. So I someone used that I think at the beginning of um the summer for me and it just it blew my mind. I love it. I'm going to start taking that with me everywhere. Totally. I think like what's important to me about it is that like my gender, my identity is not neutral. Um I'm not like living in a in a no gender space where I only <laughs> wear black and or gray. like gray and white. <laughs> And like, but I actually want to have all the gender. I want all the gender available to me. And I want like, I want to live in a gender full way, a world that's full of gender. Hell yeah. To speak on that, uh, of these, and I know you just referred to the pronoun Z for the character in Twelfth Night. So of the roles that you have played, how many, first of all, were written as non-binary? And then how many were written that any gender could play the role? Hmm. Yeah, interesting. I have never played a character who was written to be non-binary hmm. or genderqueer or transgender. 
other than roles that I have devised and created myself. Um, mm, wow. So I think that speaks maybe volumes to like the the world in which we live and the theater world in which people are given roles and are mm-hmm. and are asked to audition for roles. Um, uh, that uh, we do have to create our own opportunities. The only like non-binary characters that I've played um, are uh, are people that like I have like given my own writing ability and my own um, my own creative heft to. I guess I should give some credit. <laughs> Jack Tambori definitely wanted uh, trans characters in Twelfth Night, but we were like giving our, you know, like we were giving our writing ability to it. We discovered a lot of things together. That role wasn't written by Shakespeare as a trans character. Right. Mm-hmm. Wow. Going back to what you said earlier about trans people playing trans roles, sexual orientation is a very different subject. Uh, but as a as a cis gay man, I feel torn about Heath Ledger, Army Hammer, and straight Hollywood men playing gay roles. In your opinion, can or should a character written as non-binary or trans be played by actors who are not a part of those communities? So, for example, you know, you have on the one hand, you have Jared Leto in Dallas Buyers Club, Felicity Huffman in Trans America versus MJ Rodriguez and uh, Dominique Jackson in the show Pose. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's a that's a huge question and and one that I think for me is pretty simple. Uh let trans people, let non-binary people tell their own stories. Mm. And and to me, um there is so much richness and so much beauty and so much authenticity about uh trans and non-binary actors. Um, living in these characters who they have lived experience in common with. Um, to me, uh, I think there's a lot of Hollywood approval and celebration of cis men, especially cis men playing trans women, as something that is brave and that is edgy and that is um, daring in some way because it bucks gender norms in our society. We do want like gender to be something that everyone can experiment with. But when you're telling the stories of trans people throughout history or stories that have been created um, uh, for trans characters, I think it's really important that the lived experience of the actor comes into play in that story. And it's often the problem that people say they can't find the folks. We're here. Yes. <laughs> and, and need the opportunities. And for um, especially trans people, especially black trans people, uh, those opportunities are needed in part because they're underrepresented in, in our communities, in our theater communities, and need jobs, need the work. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like there's no excuse versus people playing trans and non-binary roles. <laughs> mm, wow. I'm who so many things I'm learning and hearing that are just blowing my mind. And I love the distinction you just made between, um, cis men who, you know, in, in some ways should be able to exper- experiment with gender. Um, however, when they are specifically playing roles that are, you know, transgendered roles, for instance, um, that actually causes harm by taking that role away from an actual trans person. Right. Actively. Yeah. Like dollars and, and opportunity and like the ability to be seen. Um, I think like, yeah, for those folks, it's really about prestige for cis folks. It's about prestige. And for trans folks, it's about like survival and telling your story. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you're you're so right. The way that we do look at these Hollywood actors and be like, oh, they did that. They're so brave. (laughs) Why is that the framing? Yeah, I don't know. I think like uh, if they if they want to experiment with gender, like 
put on a garment, you know, like put, put on mm. a garment and go out in the world <laughs> and see how it feels. Totally. And then actually you might have like uh, more, more um, ideas about like how you can support trans and non-binary people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for that again. Of course. So I would love to talk a little bit about um, college experiences, right? Because we know that I think all of us have degrees in the arts and in some form and kind of graduating from college and then navigating the industry can involve a lot of unlearning. And, you know, at least in my experience as someone who graduated from a BFA program, I know that um, kind of this BFA complex and the American higher education system, it often has um, professors who haven't been working in the industry for a minute, right? And they have a very outdated interpretation of what the industry is and I guess they they really can't fathom people who don't neatly fit into the boxes that the industry loves. And this, of course, is is super damaging to young actors. So I guess I know your college background is in both theater and music education. So I would love to know whether you had a similar experience of kind of unlearning toxicity or if your experience felt more uplifting and accepting of who you were. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's both and. I was at a Mennonite university, a religious institution that where I always felt my queerness was at odds with my Mennoniteness. And I spent six years after college kind of like advocating in church spaces for queer and trans folks um, to a really like painful result, which was that the church just like didn't really accept us. So in that Mennonite college space, I really had to create room for myself as a queer person um, and forge my own path and create my own opportunities. And I see trans and non-binary people still doing that today because the boxes, the labels, the the roles are simply not there for them. The creative positions are not opening up for them, even when it's stories about us. Um, so I see, yeah, I see the need uh, for um, creativity um, as a means of making your own opportunities. And that's what I, I think non-binary artists are so equipped Um, And trans artists are so equipped to do making something out of nothing. Wonderful, Pax. Thank you for that. Uh, That's extremely important. And we're going to get into some advice for young artists in a moment. Um, A big part of our mission here at Blacklight the Spotlight is to help equip underrepresented artists uh, with tools to claim their space in this very crazy industry. We know many of them would love your insight. So uh, what advice do you have for young non-binary and gender non-conforming and trans artists that are trying to shape their resume and present themselves in this industry? Wow. Yeah. It's a hard time to do it. Um, <laughs> and uh, and that's not my advice, but it is the reality of a pandemic and the creative opportunities available to anyone right now. So we're already starting off from a really hard place. Um, and I don't envy anyone coming out of out of school, out of high school um, right now into trying to make a creative career. Um, but the first piece of advice I would give you is find your community. Find the people that excite you, that um, artists that you really admire. Find non-binary and trans communities that can support you. Um, and start making art with those folks. Start creating your own opportunities, even if you're working another job. Start producing, start um, writing start performing for a camera and posting it online. Um, those are some of the ways that you can find community and some of the ways that you can start to like build muscle in your own, um, your own creativity and craft. Um, so find your community, number one. 
And number two, just remember that there are always people that are interested in advocating for you and and finding um, spaces for you to thrive. Um, so don't hesitate to reach out to the people that you see in, especially Philadelphia, is a super generous community of artists who are interested and willing to give you their time um, in terms of like helping you become a better artist. So have a conversation with those folks and see if you can build community across those lines. Beautiful. That's awesome. Uh, a you know, and speaking of young people or people that are older too. A defining moment for anyone in the queer community is coming out. Now, for me, I was super, super fortunate that I had a very loving and supportive community uh, after I, well, I sat my family down in a restaurant. Um, but then, of course, I called like 30 friends to tell them because because I'm very extra, right, Donovan? <laughs> Goodbye. Anyway, what words of encouragement can you give to those contemplating, quote unquote, coming out as non-binary, gender non-conforming, or trans, and is coming out even the right term to use? Oh, great question. I I wish I knew like where I heard this term from first, but for many years I've been using a reframing of coming out as inviting in. If we think of coming out as um, as like a, a trans or non-binary person stepping into a cis world and having to declare who they are, it's a super scary thing. It's it like it really just makes it a terrifying task. If we think about it as inviting in, where a trans or non-binary person has the autonomy to tell their own story on their own terms and invite cis folks into that reality, it can be like a less scary thing. Um, and for me, uh, I would inv- I would uh, just encourage folks, can you find one person to invite in? Can you find one person in your community who you can trust and and tell them and then slowly start to build that with a bigger community? Um, reframing it as inviting in, I think, is really important. And know that you don't have to f- figure it out all right now. You don't have to have all the terms. You don't have to, to know exactly how you identify because you will be doing this for your entire life. I've been inviting people in in new ways for decades. Well, yeah, I'm not crying. You're crying. <laughs> I love that inviting people in. Uh, I I have a question kind of related to what we were talking about before in terms of casting. And you said that, um, you know, the only non-binary or gender non-conforming characters that you've played have been ones where you kind of had um, autonomy over writing the role. Uh, So I'm curious in the times when you've been cast as cis characters, did that casting choice feel, I guess, as simple as an actor taking on a role that's different from their lived experience? Um, Or is there a way, or has this ever happened to you where that casting choice can actually be done carelessly and feel like there's harm being done? Hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. I think this is so different for every trans and and non-binary person that there's roles that they're willing to play and roles that they aren't willing to play. And whether they bring their, the full reality of their personhood to that role or not is, is totally up to them. Um, so for me, I'm, I'm comfortable playing cis roles. I think that would be something that I'm interested in. It's not something that anyone really offers me. Um, so there's also like a space of where we are um, seen in our identities. And I, I'm so glad that I'm seen <laughs> in my identity. And so many people understand me as genderqueer, as non-binary, as a transgender person. But it also means that um, that there's so few creative opportunities in terms of roles available to those folks too, right? 
Um, so for many folks, they would love to be cast as, as his characters. Um, however, uh, I think for me, in my own experience in um, playing roles, I kind of get this idea from Carlos Castillo, who recently put on an Instagram, like, every role I've ever played is non-binary. And I love the idea of, like, I just was in Shakespeare in Love, and I was a character named Sam. And I was talking to the director, Matt Pfeiffer, about, like, I just think, like, maybe this character doesn't have the language for the fact that they're non-binary. <laughs> the, the fact that, like, they are, like, putting on a dress and playing female characters in Shakespeare's plays. Um, and that, like, that in some way is, like, liberating to them. Um, as it can be for so many people, regardless of your identity. Um, so for me, I'm I'm thinking more about how every character I've played is um, is non-binary and has a piece of my own truth in them. Um, and I think that's what any good actor does. Hell yeah, I did. I did see that post. Um, Carlos is a dear friend of mine, and I was positively gagged. I think that's brilliant, and I love that kind of outlook. Yeah, reclaiming those characters who like. Yeah, who have a piece of you inside them, for sure. For sure, yeah. Thank Beautiful. you. Everything you say is a bumper sticker, Pax. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so my next question is, what are some ways to make the arts, especially from an administrative and creative standpoint, more inclusive and welcoming to these communities? Or how do we break the binary? <laughs> mm, snap it in half. Um <laughs> Like a twig. Uh, if only go. it were that easy, you know? Like, I would love for it to be that easy. Wow, how do we do that in community and in theater institutions? Wow. Um, yeah, systems are slow to change. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, relying on people. I love what Amara said about like investing in people and not organizations, not yeah. institutions. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, we need to do it from the ground up. Like, no one is going to come and do it for us. We need to like, mm -hmm. to, like find our communities we need to advocate for what we want. We need to create our own opportunities. Um, but if there are just a couple things, this is like something of a list that has been created with other non-binary creatives um, in the city. But um, I think it's about non-binary people creating their own stories, telling their own stories. Um, it's training companies to understand and respect the non-binary experience before they uh, put us in the room. It's about paying non-binary folks for their emotional labor and their intellectual labor when we're asked to do dramaturgical work in a creative Amen. process. Mm -hmm. It's about theaters doing their own research and not expecting non-binary folks to educate them. Yep. It's about critiquing trans-exclusionary radical feminism. It's about dismantling transphobia, queerphobia, femphobia, anti-blackness, so much more racism. Um, and all of that within our LGBTQIA communities. Um, so for many, it's about the politics of, of belonging to multiple communities and, and people understanding their intersectional experience as well. So I, I um, yeah, there's so much to tackle. And I wish we could get beyond pronouns. You know, like we're at Trans 101 every day um, and we can't get beyond pronouns and bathrooms and things that are vitally important for trans folks to thrive and be creative in creative spaces. But we never get to those like those future conversations that are also very important. Thank you for that. I And thank you for touching again on intersectionality. I feel like that's come up a lot in this conversation today. Um, and I was recently talking with a friend about problems that I guess they perceived within the white non-binary community. And, you know, as a cis woman, these were problems that had never been on my radar before. So I guess I'm curious for you, Pax, what um, advice or insight do you have specifically towards these white thought leaders 
within your community to ensure that the work that they're doing is intersectional? Ooh, yeah, it's I mean, it's a word for me, too. Like I I'm mm-hmm. constantly trying to to make my work more intersectional. And I hope like, yeah, I think the goal of anyone in that position should be um, to like to make it as multivocal a conversation as it can be. Mm-hmm. Um, but we should also remember the interconnectedness of the oppressive gender binary transphobia, queerphobia, and anti-blackness and racism, that the the gender binary was created by white folks as a way to control other people and to control people of color. Um, so uh, yeah, Alec Made Venon has great um, resources on this on Instagram. Um, they say the sex binary is a racist fiction created to establish the dominance of white people in the United States. So we really can't talk about queer, non-binary, trans liberation without talking about Black liberation. And we should always be talking about them in the same breath. So that's a goal for myself. That's a goal for, um, like, yeah, I hope that's a goal for every uh, white non-binary thought leader. Thank you for that term. Uh, (laughs) In doing their own work. Totally. Yeah. In terms of these thought leaders, um, there was an opportunity I felt that was missed at this group setting I was in. Um, so I was at a group audition maybe a year or so ago, and unfortunately, uh, throughout the audition, one artist was misgendered by another actor multiple times, even though we'd all introduced our pronouns at the beginning. Uh, the folks running this audition, unfortunately, didn't really do anything about it. At the time, I felt it wasn't my place to openly correct the gentleman who did the misgendering. I didn't mostly, not really for his sake, but I didn't want to embarrass this non-binary artist. So I have two questions on this front. Uh, For those seeking to better their allyship, how might people conduct themselves to make non-binary actors feel welcome, especially in a setting like that? You know, it's... I still feel bad to this day that I didn't do something in there and I'm not looking for validation. I want to know moving forward, what can we do to make them more comfortable? Yeah. Thanks for that example, Matt. And I just want to say that there's so many layers to that, right? That, um, that there wasn't a system in place from the top of rehearsal to, to say what should happen when something like that happens, it's not only a, a like a personal failure. You shouldn't only feel that for yourself, but but that the the system and the rehearsal process has failed in some way, and that the leaders of that rehearsal process haven't created a space where there's um, there's an idea of what we can do, an idea of what that non-binary performer would want, um, and and how to rectify the situation. So I think like there's systemic failure throughout the process, and I think like in in making those folks comfortable and. Um, and welcome in that space. It's about like providing some ground rules. It's about like making some community agreements. And those are things that we can do in any space that we're in, whether it's a rehearsal space or um, or any kind of gathering in the theater community. Um, so I think like normalizing the practice of correcting pronouns in the moment because it's so deeply painful for it to hang in the air and not have someone correct and to like feel like your whole community sees you as this thing that you are not um, is super painful. So I think we need to find opportunities to to make that correction in the moment and to build community agreements of how that'll happen. Beautiful. And in terms of correcting pronouns, I read this really interesting article on it um, in terms of how, you know, let's say that one does misgender a friend of theirs to say, oh, sorry, might be well-intentioned, but it actually can cause harm because then it then the onus is on the person who was misgendered to be like, 
no, it's okay when it's really not. So, you know, what is the proper way for, you know, let's say there are listeners out there who might misgender, misgender one of their friends by accident. What's the proper way for that listener to respond when they are corrected by the said individual? Thanks. Yeah, this is a great opportunity to uh, say, as everyone knows, that non-binary folks, that trans people are not monolithic and that mm-hmm. we all have different preferences on like what yes. we would want. Right. And I like I'm someone who might be a little bit of an outlier in this particular train of thought that saying I'm sorry uh, can be harmful. I, I do believe that. And I know that that's true for lots of trans folks, lots of um, non-binary folks. But for me, I like I'm okay with folks recognizing that harm has been done. I'm okay with you saying, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. And then maybe after that, just saying, thank you so much for telling me. Um, Something that I think is really important is to reframe those interactions as not diminishing the relationship, but that if a trans or non-binary person has taken the time and the risk to tell you and correct you, even as they might um, experience resentment or shame from you, uh, means that they want your relationship to continue without more harm. Um, so it's actually like a way of strengthening the relationship. And I wish we could reframe those interactions as that. Yeah. And thank you. Thank you for highlighting, um, the phrase you use that we are not a monolith. And I think that's something important for allies to remember is, you know, um, you are only speaking on behalf of yourself and your experiences don't necessarily speak for the experiences of every non-binary person right Mm -hmm. so we could never assume that (laughs) you speak just in the same way that i don't speak for all black people matt doesn't speak for all gay people uh so thank you again for kind of for mentioning that of course totally thank you that's beautiful pax thank you a another question we have is in your time how much positive change have you seen or not seen for those in your community in the philadelphia area oh wow in 2017, I wrote an article about this for HowlRound, uh, which is called A Non-Binary Awakening in Philadelphia. And at that time, I felt like there had been like so much movement and so much growth. Um, and I, I don't know if I feel like we've stagnated in recent years, but I still don't see trans and non-binary stories on Philadelphia stages um, as much as I would like, and trans and non-binary people in creative positions in managing images, media, and plays about them. Um, so... There's always room to grow. I think we have come a long way and there's there's more we can do. Excellent. So at Blacklight the Spotlight, we like to highlight a charity or organization of our speaker's choice. So I know you chose Morris Home and I would love for you to just talk to a little bit about to our listeners about what Morris Home is and why you chose this one in particular. Of course. Yeah. Morris Home is such a rad organization. It's the only uh, residential recovery program for transgender people, only for that in the country. And it's right here in Southwest Philadelphia. Um, and it's it's such an important organization to um, to give trans people a place to, to be in community and recover. Um, but also, I would encourage folks just to like find uh, groups where you can give money directly to trans people, especially Black trans women. Um, and to make a budget, if you're a white person, if you're a non-Black person, to make a budget of how much money you can give in in that kind of uh, work and reparations to Black trans women a month. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Thank you for letting us know about Moore's Home Packs. And for any listeners who are interested, you can donate to Moore's Home directly at rhd.org, and you can navigate to their donation section. Thank you for letting us know about them. Oh, Pax, this is very much needed. And I think in such a crazy world and time we're living in right now, to have your 
your voice and your spirit, especially coming from an underrepresented community, be so positive and uplifting for our listeners is, is a true gift. So thank you so much for your time today. Oh, you caught me on a good day. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I'm usually very positive. Totally. You, you're welcome. But if, uh, but if I'm different someday, hopefully, hopefully it'll also be okay. <laughs> oh, always, always. You're, you're a saint in our eyes. So, uh, well, thanks again, everybody, for listening. Um, as a proper send-off, here is the titular. How do titular? Is that the right word? Oh my god! You got it. As a proper send-off, here's the titular song from their album, Change. You can check it out right now on Spotify, SoundCloud, and Bandcamp. And of course, PaxWrestler.com. That is P-A-X-R-E-S-S-L-E-R.com. Thank you so much, and uh, many blessings to you both. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you so much for having me, and thanks for your work. Taken apart and rearranged. I-